0: tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 40. Well, happy August, everyone. Hope you've had a wonderful summer, even with the strange time we still find ourselves in. Everything's so uncertain with the global pandemic, and then you add the protests around the country. It's an odd time. I'm so glad that God is still on the throne. And though we may not know what the future holds, He does. And because we belong to Him, we can rest our hearts, for He takes care of His own. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Christine Hoover about the Kingdom of God and how we can love Jesus with all of our hearts. But we're going to talk about some other things that I think are going to bless you as well. So let's begin. Hey, you guys, so happy to have you with us. I always love meeting another pastor's wife, and Christine Hoover is with us today in the living room. She's a mom of three boys, a host of the By Faith podcast, a wonderful podcast, you need to check it out, the author of several books, and her new book, With All Your Heart, Living Joyfully Through Allegiance to King Jesus, is just a really important book. I was telling you, Christine, man, I love this book. I think this message is so important. Welcome to the living room. Thank you for having me, Joanna. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, the Lord has as I've been working on my book, one of the chapters is The Surrendered Life, and I really think I really think you explore a topic that a lot of Christians don't really consider. Who are we serving? I mean, in reality, who's really on the throne of our lives? And I think As I read your first chapter, first of all, I have to say you are a beautiful writer. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Oh, I'm going to actually go back and read this slowly because it needs to be savored. I think maybe, though, perhaps part of why I enjoyed it so much was the story that you open it with in chapter one is really a story that I went through in ministry, and it's part of what... Brought me closer to a a total
1: allegiance to Jesus. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. Well, I opened the the opening line of the book is grieved and starved. And those were the words that my husband, Kyle, used to kind of name uh, a time of our lives where that's how we felt. And when he said those words to me, I knew that was exactly how I felt. I felt grieved because people had moved away or left our church, the one that he pastors, and I felt alone. But I also felt starved. I felt starved for encouragement and maybe some sense of uh, approval that I was, or appreciation that I was um, needed and wanted and and loved and appreciated. And so. God used that time in my life to show me that what was really going on was that I was looking to people to validate me, to uh, give me something that only God could give. And at the same time, I had been reading the book of Matthew, and what kept standing out to me was Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And so Combining that that experience with what I was reading, God began to do a work in my heart to show me that my allegiance was not—it was to Him, but it was, it was a divided allegiance because I was looking to people to know my worth and my value. I was looking to please them and looking for some response from them rather than having a wholehearted devotion to Jesus. So that's really where this book came from. It came from my own experience. It came from my study of the book of Matthew and this idea of the kingdom of God, because I, I heard, I've I heard that term all my life, but I really, truly didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant to seek first the kingdom of God. And so my study of that really has given me this language of, of allegiance and asking myself that question, where does my allegiance lie?
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, I think sometimes when we think of the concept of the kingdom of God, uh, I think some people think of heaven or or just this ethereal thing that is not quite yet. Mm-hmm. What
1: did you discover about the
0: kingdom of God in your study?
1: I love that question because I found that the kingdom of God is all throughout Scripture There in the Old Testament, there is the promise of this everlasting kingdom, this promise that God makes to David, that he will establish his kingdom and that he will um, send the Messiah who will reign forever. And so we know now as New Testament Christians, we know that Jesus came and that he is that king, that he was crowned as king uh, on the cross and through his resurrection. And so the kingdom of God is 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 already established and Jesus even said I have come to bring the kingdom and he invited people into that kingdom. So there is this past um past aspect of the kingdom of God that it's already been established through Jesus. And there is the future kingdom of God that we know. That's, I think you're right. I think that's mostly what we think about. We think about what's to come, that God is going to reign, and we're going to see that with our eyes and experience that. But there's also the present kingdom that Jesus talks about a lot in Matthew where he talks about that it's like a seed that's hidden underground and it's growing slowly and and so there's this aspect of the kingdom of God presently being an intangible thing that we can't we can't yet see and touch and taste and experience but the way that we do experience the kingdom of God is in the church that presently that's that's where we see it for anybody who's come under the rule and reign of Jesus, what we would call Christians, we we are the present kingdom of God, and He's establishing it through us.
0: Hmm. Wow. I mean, when you consider that, that we are, we are presently the kingdom of God, and yet I think someone might say, "Well, if the church is the kingdom, then I don't know. I don't know about that." <laughs> right? There is a lot of church bashing going on, and I don't know about you, but as as a pastor's wife, my heart hurts because I think, yes, it's not perfect. Yes, it's 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 not all that it could be. But oh, Jesus loved the church so much that He laid down His life for it. Yeah. And and there is so much to be found in. In embracing the church and becoming the church he intends, which is probably a whole nother conversation. Yeah, but, yeah. But I wonder, You talk a lot about allegiance, and and especially when it comes to to self allegiance. Can you can you talk about the dangers
1: of that? Sure. Well, that's really the 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 war that we experience on a daily basis. So we talked about that the kingdom is coming that. that God has established his kingdom and we don't yet see the full consummation of that yet. And so in this present time, he is building his kingdom, but we also face this war of our fleshly, our earthly kingdom at at war with the spirit within us, right? As Galatians five talks about. And so we I think the the primary allegiance that pulls us away from Christ is self, anything that has self-dash to it, self-sufficiency. Um, you know, anything like that, it, it pulls us away from him. And so, I think a lot of times we think of th- the dangers lurking for us are external dangers of, oh, I'm going to be tempted to commit adultery or to lie or to cheat. and and yes, th- those are temptations. But the greatest temptations we face on our daily basis t- tend to be more subtle, and they're more of the the self uh, related temptations the internal the 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 pull that our flesh our, our flesh pulls at us to think about ourselves to focus on ourselves to rely on ourselves and to look to ourselves to be the answer to whatever problem or situation we're facing in life and so that is that really is the danger that I wanted to address in the book is is the more subtle temptations and these allegiances that we don't even really think about that much they're just they they're a little more normal to us um, but that they they take our devotion away from Christ and set our focus our eyes on ourselves most of the time
0: yeah it really it really does i always <laughs> i always think about um i think it was Ray Stedman that wrote that there is, a, there is a throne in every kingdom of our heart. And he just kind of showed how, you know, all these different kingdoms, you know, whether it's the kingdom of career, the kingdom of marriage, family, pleasure, whatever it is. And, and part of, you know, while Christ has come, when we receive him by his spirit, and he takes up residence in our spirit, and he takes the throne there, he talks about how we have to establish, we have to enthrone him, on all those other kingdoms, because otherwise we're going to be at conflict. And I think I lived like that a lot of my young adult Christian life. Like One part of me loved Jesus so much, and yet the other part of me really wanted to do my own thing. And so there's all of these thrones in our hearts that we have to make a choice to enthrone Jesus there. And that requires that I get off the throne. (laughs) That's hard to do. How yes. do we how do we get from self allegiance to God allegiance?
1: Well, that's a great question and I think that one thing we need to first do is to think how can we recognize what these false allegiances are and then ask ourselves what is that false king what am what is it promising me and is it fulfilling that promise? And so it reminds me of 1 Samuel 8 where Samuel is uh, has the, the people have come to him and said we want a king like everybody else around us and Samuel is very displeased by this and he goes to God and God is very displeased by this because all along God has been their king he has provided for the israelites as they've come out of egypt he has given them everything that they need and now they're asking for for another king they're they're wanting god but they're wanting a plan B king as well, like everyone. Yeah. And I love what Samuel says to them. He says, yes, you know, God is saying it's okay, give them what they want. But you need to know that these kings, these human kings, they're going to only take from you. They're going to take your sons into service. They're going to take your daughters into the service. They're going to take your crops. They're going to take everything that you have. And so when we talk about this idea of Allegiance, even to these these subtle, you know, self reliance. Let's say we have to we have to play think about what those are and play out the consequences of bowing to those false kings. Those are those are things. Like self reliance promises a lot. It promises control. It promises um, sometimes we think we can please God through our own self reliance. We can please people, but really in the end, that's a king that will only take from us. It will take from us in the sense that we have to always keep juggling those balls, always keep continuing to be self-sufficient. We are the answer always. Yeah. And and so that is a king, like First Samuel says, that's a king that will take from us. And so recognizing that and then looking at King Jesus and remembering he is a king who gives. He He says, even when we take communion, we are we are remembering that He has given everything. He has given His body and His blood. He is saying, receive me, take of me, and and let me be what you need. I am a king who gives. And so a lot of times I think of it like that. If I find myself, um, I, I think it's important to, to listen to our emotions sometimes to help us to understand, oh, I am bowing to a false king right now. And what I mean by that is, Sometimes when I am, let's say, I'm struggling with uh, bitterness, or I find myself really discouraged, and and of course, not all the time is there a false king beyond that. But to look at that and say, why am I feeling this? And oftentimes, it's because I am. There's something that feels threatened. There's an idol that feels threatened for me. Yeah. And so when I look at that, I can say. Oh, I'm feeling way because I'm looking to people to, to do something only God can do in me, and they're disappointing me. And so I'm frustrated or I'm bitter, but I can remember, oh, I'm bowing to a king that cannot give, and now I can turn in repentance to Jesus, my king, and, and he will give. He will give me security and love and forgiveness and grace and wisdom and all these things that we really are longing for and craving in life.
0: Oh, that's so, so good. I think that whole issue of false kings and idolatry. I mean, cause we, we think it's, it's okay to have God and still serve these other things. But it, but it really does come down to a matter of the heart. You have, um, I love how you've set it up. You talk in the beginning of the book about a king and a kingdom and receiving the kingdom of God and resisting the kingdom of self. And then you go through um, part two, you have these false kings. And some of them are anxiety, image, control, escape, isolation, approval, comfort.
1: How how can we recognize and name these false kings? Well, I think looking at sometimes our negative emotions, as I mentioned before. But I think we can also look and see what fruit is growing in our life. And this can be very similar to sometimes our emotions. But if there is is bad fruit growing in my life, then I want to work my way back to the root of that. And often right there is a, a false allegiance. It is producing death it's producing rotten fruit in me so we can we can recognize that we have an allegiance to to Christ whenever he is growing the the fruits of the spirit and as we see that increasing in our life but recognizing that and then I talk about repentance when we when we recognize that there are, are these false allegiances that God gives us the gift there is a gift in the kingdom of God called repentance that yeah. we can turn to him that we are not left on our own, we can turn to him and he gives us, I, I, I think there's a quote in the book and it's a quote from someone else um, that, I, that I used, but it says that the kingdom gives what it requires, that Christ, our King, gives what we need to enter and to be received by him and to walk with him. He gives us what we need so we can repent and turn to him when we recognize these false allegiances. Oh, that's so good. I,
0: if we could only grasp how good, how good, how good, how good our God is and that he really, he doesn't come demanding like you pointed out. The other kings were demanding, yes. you know, and I, I'm just constantly convicted by the story of the Israelites. Here they are completely cared for, completely provided for by God. He's brought them through the wilderness into a promised land he, they, he brought him out of captivity in Egypt and immediately their hearts turned to other gods even in the wilderness even when they got in the promised land wow how could we turn our back on this loving God I, I like I, I look at I look at that they were wanting to worship molech. The God of Molech, who required that they sacrifice their children in the fire. And God was just dumbfounded like, how could you even do that? I would never, that would never even enter my mind. And yet, we, why do we think that these false kings could ever supply what God is so willing to give? Oh, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Breaks my heart. You, you talk about, um, you talk about how our false allegiances affect others. Can you unpack that a bit?
1: Yeah, well, I talk about in the in the book in that first part about how I began to recognize that I had envy in my life and that you know beyond that envy, if I got down to the root was that i had this again the people thing this is the theme yeah. in my life of wanting relationships and friendships that were unchanging wanting to be uh, maybe i guess you could say like the number one for one of my friends and so when my relationship with her began to shift i i didn't consciously think about it but i began to see roots of of envy i began to f- the the relationship became uncomfortable because I was being awkward and weird. And so I I talk about that in the book. I think it's always important for us to recognize that our sin does affect other people, just as my envy was affecting her. And so I had, again, this idea of repentance. I had to go to her and say, this is what has been going on, and I am sorry, and will you forgive me? And You know, this is had nothing to do with her, but everything to do with me. And so I think that's important to realize that it's not just that our false kings take from us, but they take from other people around us as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, you know, when I talk about us having a little bit of a parallel story, my issue was the removal of approval as well. And Mm. looking back, I can see that God. Divine. Now, I, I think the enemy wanted to take us all out by doing it. You know where he caused a disagreement to erupt between a, a small circle of women that walked with me in ministry, and we began to love our opinions more than each other. And then all of a sudden, everything implu- imploded. And Christine, I thought I was gonna die. That removal of approval, that allegiance to that false king that somehow be needed and appreciated by people, my flesh wanted that. And God in his mercy, I really believe, I believe God in his mercy set up a showdown, (laughs) you know, kind of like the prophets of Baal, you know, it's like he, he allowed me to see that I had put my hope in a very shaky, shaky king. And I wonder sometimes those things that we find ourselves in, those those um, problems, those circumstances that we're just like, oh, I'm going to die. This has got to be over. If we would really bring it to the Lord and say, okay, is there some false allegiances here that you are revealing because yeah. you want to heal?
1: I love that you brought that up about the circumstance that you faced, And because I do think that God uses circumstances or what, what I would say, you know, if you're talking about the Israelites, it's like a wilderness. He sometimes leads us out yep. into the wilderness and we panic immediately like the Israelites did. I mean, I, I have been through that in the past few years where I just felt like God was changing everything in my life. And I was panicked and trying to grab on to everything I could grab onto that would make things stabilize and make things feel secure and God used that wilderness and he uses those wildernesses in all of our lives to reveal what is going on in our heart. I would not have known that I I would never have said I was an envious person before that time but he revealed what was there in my heart. And that I was looking to people to meet a need that only he could meet. And so I'm thankful for that. But I, I don't think any of us <laughs> respond well when our circumstances are bad. I just, we just don't. Our first reaction is panic or, you know. Right, right. But, and, but those are opportunities that I think just even being prepared for them when they come and recognizing things are changing or I'm in this difficult situation. And asking ourselves, what am I looking to right now instead of Christ to help bring some sort of stable, stabilization or security or comfort? What is that thing I look to that if it's not Christ, it's a false allegiance? And yeah. how can we then turn toward Him and ask Him for what we need?
0: Yeah. And really, in His mercy, He allows that which can be shaken. To be shaken, (laughs) because he has to show us that we're putting our hope in something that will never support, yes, and never give us what we need. And so, you know, I was thinking of Peter. You know, where Jesus said, "Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, Uh but I pray for you, and when you return, you will strengthen your brethren." God, in His mercy, and I don't think we understand it, but in His mercy, He shakes. He allows the shaking to reveal the weak places so that he can come and strengthen us and and give us that unshakable kingdom of God,
1: yes, oh yes, I can think of a situation in my life with one of my children where i it, god it was a time of suffering, it was a time of a lot of uncertainty, and I just feel like God used that to show me. That I had put so much stock in an, in a break in a breakable kingdom, that yeah. anything and that anything on this earth really, but it, it, the only unshakable kingdom is His, and so it taught me that time taught me to look ahead and to know that's really the the unshakable kingdom to come is really the only thing that's. That's for sure. It's Him. That's for sure. And so it really puts things in perspective when we face suffering and teaches us to hope and to long for that unshakable kingdom. Yeah. Oh, so much. But it really
0: does come back down to who am I serving? And I know for me, I had to go all in with Jesus whenever I kind of am half-hearted in my devotion. And that's why I love the title of this book, With All Your Heart. Until we make that determination that he is Lord of all, then I think everything can shake us. Everything can undo me if I don't really know. You know what? My life is my own. And I was thinking of that verse where Paul, you know, he lists all these things that he's gone through, you know, shipwrecked and beatings and all of these things. And then he comes to this statement that just so challenges my heart. He says this, yet none of these things move me because I have not counted my life dear to me. Hmm. Wow. I I think that's where it comes down. If I'm fully surrendered, and that I'm sure for you as well, is a daily moment by moment thing. But if that question is settled, then all those false things, all those false allegiances, when they're revealed, it doesn't have to destroy me. It can actually strengthen me you you make a comment that I'd really love to um, have you unpack because I've thought a lot about this. Uh, why is King Escape absolutely the ruler of this modern age?
1: Oh man. Well, I know so- social media gets a bad rap, uh, but I do think technology is is and you know I'm thinking of Netflix and I'm thinking in social media just our phones in general. We can escape everything in this day, especially in the West where, you know, there's more wealth and um, we can escape everything. And so I do think that's the king of the age of just this mindlessness, not being intentional or thinking or relating intentionally. And so I spent time, a whole chapter on that, just saying a lot of times when we're, when we're escaping, we're really trying we We don't intentionally do this, but we're escaping God. We're escaping yeah. having to think about Him, having to think about some of these difficult things that we see in our heart. We can just turn and go somewhere else and not even have to address those things.
0: Yeah. It's almost like we just enter a fantasy world. I don't want to deal with reality, so I'll just escape. But the sad thing is, I think all of us would say afterwards, I don't feel better. I usually feel
1: worse. (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, I think uh, I tell the story of when I was a young mom and I would, my husband would say, why don't you go out for an hour and just do something on your own and I'll take care of the kids. And I would just go and read People Magazine and uh, walk around Target and there's nothing wrong with those things. But I would come home and feel kind of worse than when I left. And I wasn't actually resting. I wasn't actually doing anything that put sustenance into my heart and my mind. And so I really had to begin to think about that. What what does it mean to actually be renewed and to rest? And I think these things are really important. We're going to have to be very countercultural as we continue in this technological Age that we're in uh, to not always be escaping because sometimes the restlessness we feel that sends us toward our phones, sometimes that restlessness is ho- a holy restlessness yeah. that God is has has put in us, or as we've already talked about, that sometimes that points to other things going on that we need to address that the Holy Spirit is wanting to convict us about, and so. That's why I spent a whole chapter on it, is just yeah. being very conscious conscious about not always turning to escape, but allowing the space for God to speak to us.
0: I love that. A, a friend of mine, Jeannie Mayo, made this statement, loneliness is sometimes God's call to aloneness with us. Mm-hmm. And so often it's like we feel a little uneasy. We don't quite know what it is. But rather than going to the Lord, we go to escape. And I, I so appreciate that you brought this up because I think, I think there are a lot of us that um, that we're really not engaging in life mm. fully. And how do we do that? How do we? How do we? Because I think you know, at the same time, like I don't. I found that God, you know. It's not like he's like Joanna. You just need to spend three hours in my word. That's what you need to do. He's a good shepherd. He knows that there are there is that need to restore my soul. And while part of that is being in his presence, I think I think it's important even in the physical uh, space to find out what what does living in the kingdom look like. Is it always being busy, 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 doing, doing, doing for God? Or
1: is there a place of rest in the kingdom of God? What have you discovered? Mm, I love that question. That's actually a question I set out to discover as I wrote this book. One of my friends asked me, I want to know what it means when we say doing kingdom work. Mm. And I have thought about that throughout the whole process of writing. What does that mean? And what I've come to the conclusion is that when, when when Jesus talks about the kingdom, it's at the heart level. It is, it. So when we're doing kingdom work, it is bringing our hearts under the rule and reign of Jesus, and so we can be doing kingdom work that is not serving another person. It could be, it could be, a, a time in our mentally where we assent by faith to believe God and trust Him, that is kingdom work just as much as it is serving our neighbor. And that's really freeing to me because sometimes kingdom work is resting and sometimes kingdom work is, is not resting. It is active. It is serving. But it really matters what's happening in the heart. So resting can be kingdom work when I am taking a day to stop my activity, my work, and i am and I am entrusting my life to god to to entrust trusting that he continues to work on my behalf on my on the behalf of my children, the people in my church that I care about, that my rest does not change the fact that he continues to sustain the universe, and so that is an act of trust and faith. And so that is kingdom work. Just as yeah. much as my service is when, when I do that and, and, and I'm serving my friend or my neighbor, and I'm trusting that God's the one that can change their heart and through that, that is kingdom work. So I think that's a really freeing definition for me to not always, because I'm a doer. And so just to remember that it's not all about doing it's about bringing my heart under the rule and reign of Jesus. Yes,
0: yes. I was just thinking of that verse, and I'm not sure if I can find it fast enough. But Jesus said, "My work is to believe. Th- the work is to believe the one who sent me." Yes, and and I, I appreciate that you bring that up because I can get, especially in ministry, I can get so busy, 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 busy doing what I think needs to be done. That I, first of all, don't get around to really trusting and believing, and I don't really get around to knowing this God who loves me. How has this whole living in the kingdom affected the way you approach ministry?
1: well it's approached it, it has changed my approach a lot. I think it's really just changed my life to think about these this this language of of allegiance and the kingdom of God and kingdom work. It gives me so much joy to talk about and to think about it's changed the way that I think about the work that we do in our church in the sense that I can remember that. God is at work. And I know I just said that, but I'm going to say it again, he, that he is the one doing the work. And I am a part of that. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is that Jesus uses this language. He, cha- he begins to change his language over the course of the book of Matthew. And he talks about the kingdom of heaven and what is to come. And then he kind of tells parables where it's like, this is what you need to do while you're waiting for that. And he he uses a lot of agricultural terms. And I, I love that because it is like him saying to us, he gives us this little plot of land that we each have. We have gifts that we can use, that we have a certain place and time that he's put us. And our job is to be a servant and to be faithful in, in that. And so I'm responsible for that but he's responsible for the whole thing. He's responsible for the yes. for for sustaining everything. And so again, that just has freed me up a lot in my own ministry here in our church just to ask myself, what has he what has he called me to be faithful with? And am I being faithful with that? Am I entrusting These things to him, or do I believe it's up to me and I'm looking to myself to be the sustainer? Those are really important questions for me, especially as I just said, I'm a doer. That's how it's changed me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think the same thing for me. You know, it's like rather than feeling compelled to do everything, taking time to find out what God says. Yes. Like, you know, one of the quotes that has changed my life is I believe. Oh, I'm going to get the source wrong. John Newton, I think. Uh, he also serves who only stands and waits. Yeah. And and just this thought that this is his kingdom. He's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I get to be a part. So what is that part, Lord? And what isn't that part? and And being okay that I am not... To fix everything and be everybody's messiah. Do you ever suffer from this, the messiah complex? <laughs> um, yes.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: And I have such good ways. I mean, I could fix everybody if they would just listen to me. I can't right. live my own life, but I can certainly live theirs. Yeah. And to be able to lay that down even and trust that the Holy Spirit is working in them and that my part is just to be obedient to what God says, not what I assume he is saying. So it's been hard, but it's so freeing as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Well, this is so powerful. I love each chapter. You've got some prompts at the end, um, some of the, the, the the hard work of heart work, but then also practicing the kingdom of God. Can you talk about that? How can
1: we practice the kingdom of God? Yeah, well, in each chapter, I do give some specific things. I just wanted people to be able to use this book as a discipleship resource that uh, two women could get together and read it and talk about it and then enact some of the practical truths that I brought out, things like rest and studying the Bible and things like that. And so those practices, I I I just wanted people to be able to think through how does this actually work out in my life and mm-hmm. I also want them to talk about it with other people because the kingdom of God is a corporate kingdom and it's not it's not in, we're not individuals and God sees us as individuals but he's brought us together with other people and Other Christians are a part of our perseverance in the kingdom of God. And so I really wanted people to talk about it together and to bring other people into some of the things that they're recognizing in themselves to confess and to repent and to ask each other questions about how do you do this and how do you do that? And so that's what the practicing the kingdom of God part is at the end.
0: I love that. And we're literally... We're literally being the kingdom of God when we do that. And yeah. we're coming back to that gift of the church that we don't have to do this life alone, that the Lord has created us for community. And so I'm I'm so excited about that. Well, we've talked about the kingdom of a God that is present. It's come through Jesus Christ living in the kingdom. Uh, you know, I mean, we could even talk about like, you know, we're aliens we're aliens here. This is not our true home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because I think we can even get a little messed up in our allegiance to our country or to our company or to our even our church. And we forget that, no, our ultimate allegiance is to God. But also, I really love that you talk about the kingdom to come yeah. and that we need to live in light of that as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I think it's so important that we know what is to come and we have it on our minds and we're talking about it with one another. That's what the Bible tells us to do, all the more as the day approaches. And so I really wanted in, in the last part of the book, I want people to imagine and to try to wrap their minds around what what it is that is to come and what this kingdom will look like. And I give very specific Verses there that it is a diverse kingdom, every tribe and tongue gathered around Jesus. That our unity is because we are in wholehearted devotion, or will be wholehearted devotion to Christ. And just that this having this knowledge and and dreaming about what is to come is kind of like when we wake up in the night with a nightmare, or we can't sleep. And that's for me always when all the worries come to my head. It's like being in that and and knowing that the dawn is coming, that the sun will come out and the dark will go away. For me, that's what knowing the future, I can live in the present with strength and know that even though it's dark, that the dawn is going to come. And so that gives me so much perspective on what I'm facing today that and and most of what we face in the current day is very uncertain. We can't see what God is doing. It's just like living in a fog. And so, knowing that sure future, it's like putting on glasses and seeing clearly in 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 the present and gives us strength for what we yeah. face. Mhm.
0: Well, I've just been thinking about this so much because I think we're so addicted to this life that we forget there's an An eternal life to come. And it's far, far, far better. I've been thinking about that. You know, no eye has seen and no, no mind has conceived things that God has planned for us. That this kingdom to come, what we're experiencing here, as beautiful as our world is, as wonderful as, as we're the blessings that we enjoy. They're just a shadow, just a foretaste of the beautiful things to come. And yet, God gives us this world, this time, this period of life to practice for the kingdom to come, to to live fully, that eternity starts now. Well, I I just am so excited about this book and your message. And I love your heart, Christine. And like I said, girls, ladies who are listening, men who are listening— This is a beautiful book and you need to just slowly savor what Christine's saying, because I really do think if you've ever wondered, how do I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, I think that Christine gives us some wonderful tips. As we close, Christine, would you just pray for us that we would become kingdom-minded kingdom people? Sure.
1: Lord, we thank you that you have sent us a king who is full of life and peace and joy and that he shares his kingdom with us as his children, as his servants. I I ask for each of us that you would give us a picture, an understanding of what you are building with your kingdom and that you would show us how we can be a part and A part of that. And I just pray for whoever is listening that uh, as I was speaking about false allegiances, as Joanna was speaking about that, that if something came to mind for them, that they would, they would reach out and grab the gift of repentance and return to you and bow to you alone and, and receive the peace that you give to us when we come to you. So we just ask Lord, that you would give us great joy in bowing ourselves to you and following you We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us, Christine.
1: Thank you for having me. This was really fun.
0: Oh, there's so much good stuff to think about. Where's your allegiance today, my friend? What escape routes and false gods have you tried that left you feeling empty? I hope you'll take time to enthrone Jesus on every throne in your heart. Because it's the only way we're going to find the abundant life God has for us, right here in the middle of this messed up world. You can visit com forward slash 040 to find links to all of Christine's wonderful books and resources. But you also find a special devotional journal I created just for this season called Be Still, Finding Peace in Troubled Times. It'll give you a place to really draw close to the Lord and learn how to put Him first and love Him with all of your heart. As you draw close to Him, my friend, He's not only going to give you the joy and peace you need, He's going to give you everything you need to live and love and lead like Jesus. God bless you.